In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. Hey, Craig's listeners. It's, uh, it's Craig. Really excited to uh, talk about today's movie with you. Um, Carla, as you know from the last episode, is visiting L.A. this weekend uh, from Portland. And uh, we, we recorded one yesterday with Evan, which was the, the one you heard last week. But I think... I don't know. She's only here for three days, but already she's looking like very pale, like paler than usual. And she keeps talking about Portland and about wanting to go home. And Carla has assembled uh, this device out of just random things that are around the house. Uh, like she, she took some, uh, some apple cider vinegar and, uh, <laughs> And uh, a coffee can and a saw blade that for some reason we had lying around the house. And she keeps trying to contact Portland on a uh, on a speak and spell. Um, we, but we've developed a psychic link over the last few days. And so I really feel like I'm feeling everything that she's feeling. Oh, my God. Her heart just lit up. Or maybe she's just blushing <laughs> with embarrassment. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Carla... Do you want to go home? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start to talk about these bits before we do them. Re- why is the- <laughs> I have to pre-approve my bits now? Why do um, I have to pre-approve my bits? I just bits? called Portland this morning on my cell phone, so it all worked out. <laughs> you called Portland. I called Portland. Good morning. And Portland was like, where have you been, girl? <laughs> And I was like, I'm sweating my balls off in Los Angeles. Okay, so Portland is sending a ship to pick you up and take you back there. And it's called an airplane. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Technology that that your advanced species has up there in the Pacific Northwest. That is pretty Pretty amazing. Pretty species. (laughs) Pretty species. You so species. Hi, guys. It's an early Sunday morning for us. <laughs> and uh, we're going to talk about my number 33 movie. This is episode 68 of Craigslist. And today's movie is a 1982 film by Mr. Steven Spielberg, the second of five Spielberg films on Craigslist, <laughs> meaning there's three more that I like more, oh, wow. apparently. Uh, this movie, when it was released in 1982, became the highest grossing film of all time, later supplanted by another Spielberg joint, uh, Jurassic Park. Uh, but this is a beloved family classic starring Henry Thomas, Drew Barrymore, Dee Wallace, Peter Coyote as Keys, oh, yeah. and it's called E.T. Colon. Phone the- home. <laughs> E.T. Colon. Phone home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's called E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Oh, right. right. It, it is in the movie. Uh, but to help us talk about that, we have a guest today. And uh, he is an improviser, a, a writer, a filmmaker, and our friend. And, and his our name, neighbor. And our neighbor. He is literally our next door neighbor. This was the shortest commute 
to uh to the Craigslist kitchen. Um <laughs> we don't call it that usually. We call it I'm trying to brand it as the Craigslist <laughs> kitchen. <laughs> well, we whip up movie themed snacks and drinks. <laughs> Say, you want a La Dolce Vita cocktail? <laughs> Um, Still not watching that again. <laughs> uh, please say hello to Jeff Passano. Hello. Hello, Jeff Passano. Hi there, guys. <laughs> it's what an honor it is to be here for the number one movie on Craigslist. <laughs> well, E.T., uh, the extraterrestrial. I know it is number one on mine, and I'm glad to see it's number one on Craigslist. Number 33, actually. But that's very high. I mean, It's all relative. It's all relative. I mean, what separates a number one from a number 33? I guess 31 movies. I know, a bunch of shit, really. <laughs> Jeff, this is your favorite film of all time. Uh, this would be it. This would be uh, my favorite film. I think it is the uh, best-made film. Not to give away my oh opinion wow, he's me. leading. <laughs> he's leading with with the big ammo. So A plus. I don't want to. <laughs> okay, A plus was, and uh, done. And done. Here we go. We're done. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is this is it for me, and I feel like. The reason you've had me on here is to convince you to make this your number one film, right? <laughs> okay. Is that, Knowing is how that much what you we love do this? on this podcast? Try to convince him to move yeah, films that's what around? Happens. I, I feel like Jeff is, um, Jeff is probably our guest who's listened to the most episodes <laughs> of, of this podcast. <laughs> that's true. Which is very nice. Definitely beat, beating busy, I would guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know that busy knew who I was. <laughs> You did have a name tag on, so yeah, I think I did. yeah. I kept reminding her. I kept whispering, "It's Carla. It's Carla. It's Carla." Busy knows who you are. <laughs> she, did she think your name was List? Yes, it was a List in Craigslist. Yeah. Okay, this is List. You so, also, when I had my podcast with Marie and Amanda, listened to all those episodes too. I probably, yeah, I yeah. think I listened to all those. Yeah, uh, and just to prove how much of a ET fanboy jeff is he's wearing his et shirt sure yeah fanboy. and he's brought over two gigantic spielberg books which yeah. are on uh the dining room table in the craigslist cafe he has a notebook here filled <laughs> also, with notes i also have my notebook yeah so he brought visual aids in order to help and you missed the best part what didn't he say yet um i i've got an et uh tattoo on my right, forehead on his head yeah uh no he's wearing an elliot sweater <laughs> sweatshirt my, rather yeah, my red oh, sweatshirt yeah that's obvious that i didn't even notice that yeah do you well, think the, of that as your your red uh elliot sweatshirt uh yeah it's slightly too small for me uh i only bought it because it's uh, <laughs> this is the actual hoodie worn by henry thomas is, in the movie this is the one yes i'm wearing an eight-year-old sweatshirt <laughs> from 1982 <laughs> Did you see this movie when it was released in theaters in 1982? I absolutely did see this movie okay. when it was released in theaters in 1982. I was four and a half. Wow. Um, I think one of the – this movie for me has uh, come back uh, several times in my life. And so there is like a nostalgia aspect, but also um, I watch it yearly and uh, at least once a year and – Usually on your birthday, find right? find anything uh, wrong with it. Usually on like New Year's Day. On New Year's. Um, this when you said when you said it's come back some for several times in your life, do you mean it was reissued, or do you mean like it's appeared in your life? It just it's it's come. Uh, well, this is my 
my very first memory of life is being in the theater watching this movie. So when I try to remember That's back so to my first memory, it is the, this isn't the first movie I was taken to as a child. I, that was Song of the South, uh, which, oh, dear uh, God. yeah, it informs a lot of my other characteristics of uh, my personality, but songs of South song, song of the South. What's that? That's the uncle Remus movie that Disney made in the 1940s. It combines live action and animation. Zippity doodah. Zippity doodah. Br'er rabbit. Yeah, tar, yeah. The tar baby. Yes. It so it's why it was banned. It's <laughs> Disney oh, wow. has it in their vault and I think it I don't think it's been seen in 35 years. That's then. true, but I've got it um on VHS if you would like to watch it. <laughs> I definitely I saw it in the theater a couple times as a kid so they kept bringing it back, but it's it's yeah, it's horribly uh racist yeah. and but it's also Splash Mountain is based on oh. uh Song of the South because it's all those Br'er Rabbit characters as well. Mhm. Um, yeah. Let's talk about E.T. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so this is that first sort of memory is, is sitting in the movie theater on my knees in the seat with my mom next to me and her mom next to her and, um, being very, um, sad and scared that E.T. was going to die and asking my mother if E.T. was really dead and then him coming back to, life and just being overjoyed and i remember walking out of that theater through the parking lot and just feeling great and every time i would see a rainbow in my childhood i would think that that was et's ship had just gone gone by (laughs) like you just missed that ship yeah i just missed seeing the (laughs) ship so um that would be more sad than than triumphant of seeing all those rainbows well you just know you know et's out there i keep missing him yeah (laughs) but he just can't quite it hasn't come to me yet. Uh, so there's that aspect of it. Then, you know, when I was in high school, I remember seeing a um, an AFI tribute to Spielberg. And E.T. was also the only sort of VHS tape that my dad had bought us uh, that we owned in our house. And I was home alone and I was watching this. AFI tribute to Spielberg and was going through like all of his films and seeing like the clips of E.T. and and his sort of life was it made me know what I wanted to do like it made me know that I wanted to make films and tell stories like that and I immediately got out the VHS tape of E.T. and watched it then I've been watching it wow. ever since like at least yearly yeah that's really cool uh, so you, you think you've seen it upwards of 30 times? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Wow. I go to when it's playing in theaters here. I went to the Hollywood Bowl a couple years ago and saw it with the live orchestra. Uh, was John Williams conducting? He was not at that time. I think he might have been, uh, either sick or composing for like, uh, Star a, Wars. A Harry Potter. Uh, yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> Something like that, but um, he did a video introduction. But uh, it must know. be so cool to see it at the Hollywood Bowl with the open sky and with that live orchestra playing. It was it was very cool. Yeah, it was one of my favorite viewing experiences of it. Wow! How about you, Carla? You were too young to have seen it in the original theatrical. No, release. I saw it in the original. <laughs> this was the first movie I ever saw in the theater. Are you serious? Yeah. It so was, you would have been two. Yeah. It was in the theater for a year. It played for a year straight. So. 
June of 82 through June of 83. That makes more sense, actually, because I thought it was closer to three okay. when I saw it. And then it went away for two years, and then it came back out in theaters. Um, but I know I, I was I was always told that I was three when I saw it. So I thought, yeah. Okay, so you, you probably saw it toward the end of its first run. Yeah, I remember it, but I'm one. But I also think maybe I remember what my grandmother remembers about it. My grandmother took me, and she said I got really scared and I cried a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Why wouldn't you? I mean, yeah. like, it's traumatic. And so my memory of E.T., having watched it just a few days ago, and then the, again with you this morning, I um, I knew that I liked E.T. I don't think I had seen it since I was probably a kid, maybe like eight or nine. We also had a VHS of it, so my brother and I watched it a lot. Um, I remembered it enough to remember what happened, but I also always, I don't think I ever rewatched it because it always made me sad, mm-hmm. which I'd forgotten about until I started watching it and I started feeling sad and I was like, why does this movie make me so sad? Um, and then the scene with E.T. laying down, face down in the river, mm-hmm. <laughs> when that happened the other day, like I just immediately burst out into tears and started sobbing uncontrollably. It was almost like... It was like being a kid again and just being so upset that E.T. was Like repressed sick. emotions from yes. 30 years ago yeah. are just coming back. Wow. I mean, it's like the closest thing I could think of to like some sort of <clears throat> PTSD or something, mm-hmm. uh, which if that's the most PTSD I ever have in my life, then I think I'll be okay. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, so I remember it being like a sad movie and then rewatching it as adult. Well, we'll talk about that. Okay. But that's my experience with E.T. Well, I definitely saw it when it was first released in theaters in 82. I would have been 12 when it came out. Uh, I immediately loved it. Saw it with, I think I saw it multiple times, uh, during its first release. And, uh, I've, I've come back to it, uh, a fair amount over the years, but I don't think I've seen it more than say 10 times. And it's probably been eight or nine years since the last time I saw it, but it's still amazing for a movie that I haven't like seen to death. Of just how vivid all the scenes are to me. I like, I really remember everything well. And I do think this is a movie where there's not a wasted scene. I mean, it's almost a two hour movie, but there's really no fluff or Mm -hmm. excess in it. Like every scene has a real purpose. And so there's so much that's memorable about it. I think. Yeah. The only, uh, the only moment that every time I watch it, I go, Wait, was this so? Has this always been in it? Was when Elliot sneaks out, he sneaks out the back and up the to the gate to like listen, and you can hear like the trucks going by, the mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Uh, surveillance truck going by, or something like that. Um, that's the only like one little weird little scene that I always forget <laughs> about in my memory when I play the movie in my head yeah. at times. But um, other than that, yeah, everything is like a purpose and easy to like sort of recall and now the version that i have is the 2002 dvd which is the 20th anniversary edition which added a a couple of deleted scenes changed the guns to walkie talkies uh and improved maybe in quotation marks some of the et scenes with cgi um i this is, I, I think it was one of the l- later, like, classic films to have come out on DVD. I think they kind of withheld it from the market for a while. Yeah. And then they, but they also included the original theatrical release on the DVD. Yeah. But I didn't watch that, though I have that disc too, because I, I feel like it's a bad transfer from VHS 
maybe, and I just wanted to see it in a in a better image. But then I did see a couple of those excess scenes. Um, so there's a scene where E.T. takes a bath and submerges himself. Yeah. Uh, which is cute. There's a, a little more Halloween stuff. There's something that was clearly like shot on the Universal backlot, which is just like this post Halloween chaos. And there's like a, uh, a fire in a trash can. Right. Yeah. Like where that. she's looking for the, yeah. for her kids. Uh, but then Carla, I think, watched it on streaming on HBO, which would, and ju- it was the original. And it was the original. Yeah. And this is the, I, this is the 30th. Wait, what year is this? No. It was just the 35th. Oh yeah, 35th. Okay. Uh last year. <laughs> yeah, I um I'm glad I didn't see the version you saw. <laughs> Cuz I don't want to see CGI in it. Like this was a big thing in the late 90s and early 2000s, right? Where filmmakers like George Lucas and Spielberg would take their old movies and fix them, yes. quote unquote, and it's like no, we yeah. don't want it to look that way. It started with Lucas, and I think the Lucas going through all the original Star Wars and doing that made Spielberg go, oh, I want to do that. Like, he literally said, I wanted to do that based off of that. And so he went to into E.T. and did all these things, and a few years later he was like, that was a mistake. I shouldn't have done, shouldn't that. Have done that. Don't ever watch that version and only watch the... People- that, which is why they put the original... Yeah, people yeah. stopped doing that though, right? Like, I haven't heard anybody doing that recently because it was not. It got way. such backlash, yeah. yeah. And I think Spielberg does regret it. Deservedly as, as Jeff so. Said. Don't do that, filmmakers. <clears throat> Spielberg, if you're listening, I still shame you, even though you regret it. <laughs> How many episodes do you think Spielberg has listened to? Well, he at least listened to the um, the Jaws episode with PFT. The when Harry met Sally one. <laughs> oh wait, we've never done. That okay, one. no, you're in an alternate universe right now, Carla. <sighs> <laughs> the white christmas episode probably <laughs> um uh yeah i don't like the changes that he made from what i saw this morning yeah et looks too cartoonish i think with the they go a little over the top in his facial expressions just because they can and they need feel felt <clears throat> like they need to do something to justify going in there with cg i feel like so they make him a little bit too cartoony in my estimation there were a couple stuff like in the beginning, like movement wise, like that he would do when he was running that I thought was fine, like as an addition, but that would probably be the only change I would have accepted. Now ET is a, is a combination of, uh, of an animatron and sometimes a puppet and sometimes somebody in a suit. Uh, from what I know, yeah, it was, uh, they used everything they could. A lot of times there was a, uh, a young girl in who had like very long arms and long fingers that would wear like the arms and she would be like underneath the table, like when they're on that, um, in his room and they're going through all of the stuff and he's eating and that sort, those sort of scenes, she would be underneath the table as E.T.'s hands, mm-hmm. uh, picking everything up. And then sometimes I think they had a, young boy who I think was missing legs and he used to get around on his hands and they put him in a suit to have a different so, kind of So walk. he's literally upside down in the suit then and his hands are E.T.'s legs? Is that how that works? I think his legs are below or his arms stretch below his torso. I see. And so I, I think that's how it worked. I've never really seen And he did like the drunk E.T. scenes. Is that right? I think so and maybe through the forest as well. Cool. Uh, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, some smaller 
people maybe were in there and animatronic and puppetry and that kind of stuff. And I think this has come up a few times as we've talked about movies with old school special effects versus CGI. And I think I've always made the, the argument for like that handmade feeling of it. Of like, they, they just really put a lot of work into it. And even though, you know, you, you know, he's not real, but you believe in your heart that he is like they make him feel so real. And that there is something phonier about the, and artificial about the CGI version. I think the fa- fact that he's real and tactile, especially seeing it through a kid's eyes, you know, he really becomes this vivid character. Yeah. I, I think it's the, one of the most realistic sort of like, fake things i've ever seen you know like <laughs> yeah and I, part of it is yes there's a great design and they made it well but also the way they lit it and shot him like just i think hides the, any flaws that were it doesn't look rubber it doesn't look you know it's also a tribute to the actors i think to the kid actors yeah i i was gonna say that I mean, it, it doesn't work as well as it does without Henry Thomas. I mean, yeah. who really gives one of the great child. I just wanted to cry right now thinking about him. One of the great it's child amazing. performances. And, uh, and Drew Barrymore, I mean, as a four year old, I mean, that's hard to be like a breakout star, you know, but I think everybody knew like from that day forward of just like, wow, she's got something, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but yeah, but that Michael guy, drug, what happened? <laughs> he's fine too. It's interesting of like for the three child actors of like, they each kind of like went down different paths. Like Robert McNaughton, who plays Michael, never really did anything again. Drew Barrymore became a big star and Henry Thomas isn't a big star, but he's a steadily working actor who's still in a lot of stuff to this day. Um, but he just has such. Such a range and such depth of emotion. I guess during his audition, uh, he, uh, he thought of his dog, which had recently died and cried and made Spielberg cry in the audition. And, and that's how he got the job, you know, the, and yeah, is the, I think the, his audition on your DVD set. Maybe I didn't, uh, I think it's on that disc with the original version, yeah. but yeah, I'll have to. You should uh, check that out. Yeah. You can see him. You can hear Spielberg give him the job on the spot, like he he wow. earned it. Uh, I know that he, Spielberg did sort of worry that he might be a little bit too like serious as a kid actor. Like he kept trying to like make him feel lighter and and funner for the movie because he felt he was maybe a little bit too serious and <laughs> sad. Yeah, but I I again like. I mean, he nails the comedy when he has to, yeah. uh, I think, but that's why this movie is an all timer because it's so emotional for him. Yeah. yeah. Everything that Elliot's going through, uh, he really brings to life. And if it was just even slightly more traditional kiddish, like it might throw the proportions out of whack in, in some way. I mean, it's mm-hmm. such an impressive performance f- for a kid. And can you please stop trying to cry? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of my dental and it's just not coming up. Craig's eyes are filled with water right now, you guys. Jeez. It's an emotional movie. I <laughs> I think this is a kid's movie. In and I don't mean that as a way of uh belittling it. You yeah. know, it like this is the ultimate kids movie in that it really takes kids' emotions uh seriously. I think. And That's why I think it's an adult movie. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Watching it. So here's my point of view. Watching it 
I've always been like, oh yeah, E.T.'s great because this is just iconic, right? And you, everybody watches it as a kid and Jeff would go see it once a year. And I'd be like, that's so cute. (laughs) (laughs) But then watching it as an adult, I was like, oh my gosh, I feel so many more emotions watching it as an adult than I did as a kid. Partially because it reminds me of being a kid, of course, not even nostalgia, but just like reminding me of the emotion, how everything when you're a kid is like either a giant feeling or you just completely ignore it, right? Like there's really no in between when you're a kid. And then, uh, yeah, just the mother, like I would have never remembered the mother. And I think her performance is so wonderful and this whole story is so sad. Yeah. Uh, and then even the, the guy, is it Peter Coyote? Peter Coyote plays keys. At the keys, end yeah. when he's talking to, like, I did not rem, in my memory, the adults come on and everything is scary about the adults. Mm-hmm. Watching it as an adult, I've had so much more empathy for the adults, all of them in the situation and how they're trying to actually help ET mm-hmm. for the most part, right? Yeah. Like they don't want ET to die. I did not remember that. In my memory, it was like they came in and they tried to kill ET. Mm-hmm. And so seeing it as an adult and understanding both the kid's point of view and the adult's point of view and that scene where he's like, I, when Peter, Peter Coyote tells Elliot that he's been dreaming of this since he was a kid himself and how he's so glad that E.T. found Elliot, I was so moved by that scene that I don't think I would have understood it when I was a kid. Yeah. And that kind of – that yearning for something that you've had for 40 years of your life – like it's a, the dream coming true. It's a great Ugh, scene. Yeah. It's so good. And you feel like Peter Coyote was Elliot when he was a kid. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And I, it's, yeah, it's just, I was really shocked by how much I didn't understand of this story when I was a kid <laughs> that I understand now. Uh, do you think the Spielberg guy has a future as a director? <laughs> um, I, you know, he's the most successful filmmaker of all time. Which means you could make an argument for him as also the best director of all time. But he also gets a fair amount of pushback and criticism, you know, for sentimentality, for being manipulative. And, you know, when a Spielberg movie doesn't work, it's, uh, it doesn't work on a pretty big scale, you know, but when it works, I mean, there's nothing better. And I think. Part of it is he is such a visual filmmaker. Like he will always make the visual choice, uh, and take out the words when need be, you know, so things like the, the blooming flowers telling you what an ET's, uh, physical and emotional state are right. is, is a constant motif throughout the movie. There, uh, all the stuff up top, there's a, a, I don't know. 10 or 15 minutes before any dialogue comes in when we first meet Elliot's family at the, their house, you know, all of that original stuff of the scientist coming in and meeting keys and seeing his key ring and seeing uh, E.T. and his shipmates exploring the forest of like, it's so wonderful. Yeah. He, uh, it, it just blows my mind the way that he is able to tell a story. Yeah. He may get criticized for being over, sentimental in his films or this or that but he he knows how to make a movie like he knows the language of making films and that's what he's doing he's not trying to create real life or not it's he's trying he's making a movie and he knows that language so well the using the flowers to show you someone's feeling how someone's health is throughout the movie um reiterating lines uh You've been talking, I think, a lot in recent episodes about 
perspective of like either first person sort of uh, perspective of films like with Taxi Driver or this or right. And so this one is a very more, much more omniscient sort of movie. We go, we're not only just following E.T. or only following Elliot. We're following both of them and we get scenes oh, with yeah. Drew and whatever. Mm-hmm. But everything is from a kid's point of view Mm -hmm. like every the the choice to have every adult only shot from the waist down or so cool except Mm -hmm. for the mother who he sees as a big kid because his own mother was a big kid and wouldn't really be a mother wasn't really a mother to him but more Mm -hmm. of his best friend so you're referring to spielberg yeah his own relationship with his his mother own relationship with his mother when his uh parents divorced and stuff so um it's it's just such a vis- his visual language is is it's fantastic. Uh, I I want to go back to something you said about when he messes it up, it's really bad. What is bad? Because sp- I was just thinking like, I've, there's been Spielberg movies that I haven't loved, but only because they're not as good as his greatest stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I can't think of something that I actually thought was bad. I don't really care for Empire of the Sun. Um, I thought I remember the, liking that. I thought the BFG was pretty bad. I didn't see that. Um, I actually have all of Spielberg's movies ranked. So, oh god, <laughs> let me see if I can pull it up. What about you, Jeff? While you're looking, Craig? <laughs> the I mean, look, his famous bomb is 1941, but uh, always is sort of. I like always. Hit, you know, I liked always. Hit or miss, but that's pretty sentimental. Uh. And it's pretty, yeah, it, it's simple. You know, uh, Lost World, there's some stuff. But look, even in his worst movies, there's like always at least a scene or more that you're like, that's, I've never seen that in cinema before. Or yeah. There, there's something that sticks. That's what I mean. Like. I think it's just because he's always compared to E.T. or... Whatever his best thing is, Jaws and Raiders list, and like Mm -hmm. he's got, he's done so many genres, and he's done such an incredible job, and so many that when he releases something that any other filmmaker would just be like, it would be passable. It's like this is the worst Spielberg movie I've ever seen. Yeah, people hated War Horse. That was one that people really hated. Oh yeah, I didn't see that. I I I liked it. Um, I actually did not like the Sugarland Express, which is one of his uh, earliest movies. I, th- I think I have that as his worst movie, though. I think uh, it's actually considered uh, to be pretty great. It just did not work for me at all. Like the ter- the Terminal. There's a bad one. Yeah, I liked the Terminal. I saw that in the theater. <laughs> did you like Sugarland Express? I like Sugarland Express. It's it's different than all of his other. Like it doesn't. It, you can the watching the language of how it's told you can tell it's a spielberg film but like story wise yeah. it doesn't necessarily feel as spielbergian as he would come to be but hook i love hook <laughs> people <laughs> great hook for me it's not as big but maybe i should go back and rewatch it i loved it when i was a kid one of the things that uh there's somebody who's done a, a like a, a video essay of Spielberg characters staring in awe at something and saying that he overuses that as a device and in every one of his movies there's that awe shot. Mm-hmm. Um, but it usually works. It works every, pretty in damn context, well. I it think it always sort of gets you. Yeah, and if uh, if you're in the middle of a redwood forest and there's a giant spaceship there and there's some aliens. <laughs> What other reaction are you going to get? You're going to stare in awe. I think you're going to stare in awe. 
Um, yeah, Steve, I know you're listening, and uh, and we think you're uh, you're pretty great. Top notch. Um, also, I got a show I would like to pitch you called, <laughs> called Edgewood. So let me know. <laughs> um, how about we we alluded to the score? Um, is this the best John Williams score? Uh, I, it's pretty great. John Williams has a lot of great stuff. I, I mean, I'm the most. Imp- it's got to be one of the most impressive things that ending bit, which is like t- what twenty five minutes of straight score. Uh, is that true? I, I am pretty sure it's uh, around twenty five minutes. Yeah, from from like, from the moment where ET comes back to life. Uh, yeah, it might start just after as they're making the escape from the house and, and, um, wow. all the way through the end. To I the didn't end, even realize that when credits. I was watching it. It's all one. That's why it's got to be so cool to see it live again with, with the orchestra, but just yeah. because it's so constant. Uh, we had just talked with, uh, Evan Schletter about 2001 and, uh, talking about how he pulled out the Alex North score because it was too on the nose and too, you know, telling you how to feel. I mean, definitely this is a score that's telling you mm-hmm. how to feel, but I mean, this is a, this is a movie that's going big. It's going for some big emotions and big like peaks and valleys throughout. And, uh, I, I just think it's a gorgeous score. I, I'm, I'm a little torn with John Williams because I, when I'm watching a movie that he scored, I always can appreciate the music and feel very moved and affected by it. But then I'm like, is that a good thing? Sure. (laughs) But to be so aware of it, I'm always very aware of his music in film. And I don't know. I mean, it definitely, it's not just E.T. leaving. It's not just Elliot crying. It's certainly the music playing that's making me cry too. Yes. Um, And I'm not saying I dislike it. I'm just on a more of a cerebral level. Like, is that, is that what it's supposed to be <laughs> or is that personally cheating? i feel like it's the it's the experience that you're going like what experience do you want to go for like mm-hmm. if you want to go for watching a movie and letting the movie just take you away and affect you like yes this is this is it this yeah. does it and delivers it and this is the type of music that does that and works for those sorts of movies but there are other movies that you want something that's a little less noticeable or mm-hmm. a little that feels a little bit more real but and that's that artist's sort of way of making movies or and that's you as an audience member seeking out that sort of comfort right then but the types of movies like Star Wars or E.T. or Jaws or that uh, John Williams is scoring like those movies call for having a Mm -hmm. score that you want to notice and you want like it's part of the experience he did Harry Potter as well or no I don't know if he did all of the Harry Potters because I know theme I think he did the Harry Potter theme. Because whenever yeah. I do that ride at Universal and you walk in and the music's playing and you sit down and it's like, <gasps> it feels the same way where it's like, <laughs> oh, it's the music that's driving you to the experience. Yeah. In a, in a fun way. Yeah. You know? And you just know he's making money every time someone walks in <laughs> and they play that song. <laughs> every uh, 15 seconds. Yeah. It's 15 cents. <laughs> ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. It adds up quickly. I mean, manipulative is one of my least favorites, uh, 
uh, adjectives for people who refer to a movie of like, yeah, oh, oh how dare this person right. uh, decide what images and sounds, you know, for me to look at and listen to. Like, that's what a movie is. It's inherently manipulative. When people call a movie manipulative, they just mean that they can see the puppet strings, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that the, that it's calling attention to itself in, in some way. But of like, of course, like, uh, I think I've a, used that word a few times on this podcast. It, it's, <laughs> it's a manipulative art, you know? Yeah. I think that most about most things, whether it's a painting or whatever, the artist is trying to convey something to you and manipulate you in some way to, I mean, even a documentary that you see is not going to be completely fair and imbalanced. Like they've got a point of view yeah. and they're editing the movie to make it. Here's the information we want you to know when we want you to know it. One way or, yeah. Yeah, or another. So um, I think it's the more you watch something the more you'll notice how things are and what's affecting you and you'll start to pick it apart but i mean i would dare anyone to just go into a theater and sit down and watch et even knowing that it's going to manipulate you with its you know music and this and not get carried away with it yeah there was i went to a screening of this movie at the academy several years ago and uh, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. That's right, on Wilshire. <laughs> you know the one. Okay. Not, not the Naval Academy. Uh, nope. <laughs> okay. Uh, but there was a Q and A with a bunch of naval uh, admirals afterwards. So, which was weird. Maybe I was at the Naval Academy. The oh no. Did was, a bunch of sailors throw their hats into the air? <laughs> Casting crew. Yes. And then we all they leaned me back and kissed me. Did you guys play a hot game of volleyball? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wait, is this Top Gun? Or? <laughs> Uh, very manipulative scene, that one, huh? <laughs> um, one of the, um, I think it was maybe a sound or a production designer was talking about, um, traveling, uh, several years after ET came out and was going to, in a lot of these third world sort of countries, uh, you go to smaller sort of territories where they don't automatically dub or have subtitles for a movie in that particular language and so he went to one of these um places i forget where maybe like vietnam or or somewhere around there and um they were playing et and they didn't have subtitles they didn't have the audio dubbed in that language and what they would do is they would just have one guy in the back of the auditorium on a microphone and he would just say just translate everyone's dialogue in the movie and this is how (laughs) this is how this you know society would go and watch movies that weren't in their native language. This is how they always did it. So he said the power of this movie, like when he knew that what E.T. was and what it meant on an international scale and how relatable it was to everyone, was going and watching that audience just be so emotionally involved and weeping and crying just from the fact, just by having one guy yell out every line of dialogue at like a minute, like a couple seconds after it happens. That's really cool. The images and the music and the story of someone who is alienated, a little boy who feels alienated, finding an alien and them being able to cross this boundary and become friends and understand each other just touched everyone in the world. Mm. Hmm. That's really sweet. Well, you just totally uh, slam dunked this podcast. 
<laughs> I feel like, uh, you know, what I was saying before about this being a kids movie and you saying it's an adults movie, but I th- feel like we're pretty much on the yeah, same page. Totally. We're saying the same thing. Yeah. Uh, I, can, I don't disagree that it's a kids movie. I but. can tell you this: when he, uh, the how it came to be, the, he was originally developing a movie called Night Skies that John Sales was writing for him about a true, supposedly true story of this farm family who was being terrorized by aliens, led by one evil alien called Scar, I guess. <laughs> And then there was one sort of good alien among them called Buddy who would befriend an autistic boy in the family or whatever. So that, and he said the movie felt too violent and whatever, and and he didn't really want to do it and didn't. It was kind of a half sequel to Close Encounters. Yeah, it's, it's sprung off of that. And, um, so he decided he wanted to just focus on this nice alien and this relationship with the boy. And at the same time, he was trying to develop a movie about what he went through as a boy through his parents' divorce, and he was able to meld those things together when talking about it with Melissa Matheson on the set of Raiders, and she went off and wrote that. I think the rest of that story got turned into Gremlins uh, from the sound oh, of it. Oh, wow. Um, but, uh, but, yes, he when he, they finished the... When Melissa Matheson finished the draft of E.T. and he took it back to Columbia where he had a deal, they didn't want to do it because it felt like a Walt Disney movie. And in the 80s, Walt Disney was not looked on. As right. They were like failing. They were not doing very right. good. So They were working on the Black Cauldron everyone at the time. In, everyone in town, yeah, was, was very down on this script as being, oh, Spielberg's trying to play it safe after 1941 and he's made this kids movie this walt disney sort of movie but what they didn't really get i don't think was that he took it somewhere where walt disney wasn't going walt disney was still in this 1950s nuclear family sort of thing and here was a family that was more modern with that dealt with divorce that dealt with it was from the kids perspective it was an adult looking at you know looking back at childhood and really sort of taking that seriously and i think that's what made it more of a success than what walt disney was having yeah. at the time i'll tell you as a kid or uh, as a 12 year old nearly a teen mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but just more the fact Mike, almost michael's age <laughs> <laughs> i was yeah i, I might have related a little more to michael in it but just the fact that he had like star wars toys Mm -hmm. and he's like this is hammerhead and this is walrus man and this is boba fett of like i had all those toys Mm -hmm. when michael does the little yoda impression of like that was something that me and my friends would do the house looked cluttered it looked like uh, the house of every family you know in my neighborhood it wasn't this pristine suburban setting you know that their lives are messy and their house is messy Mm -hmm. you know so it very similar to Poltergeist, you yeah. know, of like how the, it looks very similar to the suburbs, uh, that are there and, uh, that the houses look similar and the behavior of the kids is, is similar too. So like, it doesn't feel like this contrived, uh, movie thing that they, they just felt like real kids to me. And that really helped with the authenticity. Yep. Well, let's go chronologically through the movie a little bit with a segment that we like to call Carla's Quotes. She's feeling her oats and Greg's taking notes. Whatever they are, it's Carla's Quotes. Okay, so we didn't watch this together. No, you watched it 
I Wait, do we know. not really play the music? <laughs> I thought we had that's we were... all. That's all movie magic, Jeff. Uh, I, <laughs> that, gets... that podcast magic. I thought we would get to dance around. I thought this was like a place where we would get to like have some drinks or something in between, <laughs> like lounge music. The Craigslist Cafe is still a work in progress. I of guess like, so. no, Jeff, I'm not going to get out my. Stupid laptop and play the thirty second theme song for you in the moment. But next time, time. see if I ever come on this podcast again. Hard to come back after the number one movie, but Um, again, number thirty three. So we didn't see it together. I didn't send you that many quotes. I was that wrapped up in the film. There you go. This is what we got, folks. I'm just apologizing for not sending many quotes. I think we got about six or seven quotes from the first ten minutes of the movie (laughs) that Carla sent me. And then I was finishing up the movie this morning. Uh, I had about an hour left to go. Carla went on a walk with Benny. She came back. Actually, we went and got burritos. (laughs) We got breakfast burritos. And then we came back and watched the last 15 minutes of the movie together. So I've got... I've got some Carlos quotes from the very beginning. I got some Carlos quotes from the very end. Um, here's Carla. E.T. looks so much like Stranger Things. It does. I mean, I know that <laughs> they're, you know, you're referring inspired. To the, you're referring to the movie, the look. The E.T. Yeah. was inspired by Stranger Things. Right. Yes. E.T. was inspired by Stranger Things. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I, for, I, I mean, I knew that. Is it? What's her name? Seven or nine or eleven? Eleven, right? <laughs> yeah. That's seven plus nine equals eleven. I knew that she was, you know, inspired by E.T., the character, and all the things, right? All the big iconic things. But I'd forgotten that Elliot goes to the shed to look for the animal or whatever he thinks E.T. is at first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is very much – that happens in Stranger Things, right? Where the little boy in the first one goes he to the shed. He gets abducted, yeah, in that shed. Yeah. yeah. And it feels so scary – in E.T., it turns out fine. And then for that little guy, it didn't turn out so fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it was really weird, honestly, yeah. at first, to being like, whoa, I just watched this. Oh, no, that was a TV show called Stranger Things. Who are those guys? The Duffer Brothers? Is that where they are? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they were so influenced by the uh, those Spielberg and Joe Dante movies from the 80s. And- I feel like I'm not saying this properly. But what I'm trying to say is that watching Stranger Things, I knew that it was influenced by those things. Because I hadn't seen those things in so long, it was really jolting to you then watch. You didn't know how much. Yeah. yeah. You didn't. Oh, yeah. You weren't. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very explicit homage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, E.T. reminds me of Frankie. Oh, Frankie. Frankie's my chihuahua. Frankie, of course, is our five-pound chihuahua. I- <laughs> Frankie does have some E.T. eyes. I yeah, say. it's yeah. the eyes. Mm-hmm. She looks into your soul. She has kind eyes. Benny's, kind eyes. Benny, I don't know. Yeah. Benny's a little more Frankie sassy. looks like an alien. That's that's true. Carla said, I bet this family lives in the same part of town as the Poltergeist family. <laughs> I was always under the impression that both movies, you know, I saw both movies probably within a couple weeks of each other. They, they were came out a week apart. Oh, they did? They came out mm-hmm. a week apart in the summer of 82, and they were immediately went to the top of my list uh, at the time. We did Poltergeist way back in the 90s on the list, uh, mm-hmm. I think. Um I was always under the impression they shot both in the same suburb, but uh, apparently that's not true. But they're all in the Valley of L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, so E.T. was shot in Tahunga. I've been to the house. You I've have? Been, really? Driven by the house. Yeah. And Northridge. Aww. One of the first things I did out here. Yeah. That's so cute. What Tahunga and Northridge. <laughs> Poltergeist in so Agora great. Hills. And Simi Valley. Agorna Hills? Agora, Agora Hill, Agora. Agora Hills and Simi Valley. It was quite a trek for 
uh, Spielberg to go from one to the other to direct both of them at the same time. <laughs> oh, yeah. You didn't get Jeff's perspective on Poltergeist. He has a whole thing. Yeah. Uh, well, let's let's do it. Is that uh, Toby Hooper or Spielberg? Spielberg. Oh, really? Yeah. Why do you say it's Spielberg? I, I just look at it. Just look. <laughs> just looking at it. You, yeah. It feels like Spielberg. Yeah. I, uh, I forgot to tell you that after he listened to that podcast way back when, he made me. He he made me convinced. <laughs> he convinced me. <laughs> he made me convinced. Uh, yeah, Tahunga is like up around like La Cañada, like right at the foot of the mountains mm-hmm. up there. So it is a really cool look. But then all that stuff, they did go up to Northern California and shoot in the Redwood Forest for that stuff as well. And they recreated the Redwood Forest on a soundstage. Did they really? So all that stuff at the end. Yeah, that's all a soundstage. Wow. Yeah. And all of his backyard, his backyard is all a soundstage as well. So that's really cool. Yeah. Um, uh, shout out to the cinematographer, Alan Davio. Is mm-hmm. that how you say his name? We worked with Spielberg several times. I mean, beautifully, beautifully shot movie. The, he shot Spielberg's short film, Amblin. And, oh, wow. So they, they're old friends. Then. And they hadn't worked since. And Spielberg was watching, uh, made for TV movie that Alan shot. Um, I forget what it's called. The, something about being drunk or something and called him up and said, Hey, would you like to shoot my next movie? And he was like, why? (laughs) It's like, well, I just saw something on TV that just blew me away. Why don't you come shoot it? And he shot, and that was ET and he shot ET. And then they worked on what color purple and twilight zone and empire of the sun. And then he met Janusz Kaminski and he was like, bye. (laughs) Bye buddy. I mean, particularly the way that, uh, Elliot's, uh, interesting, we never know their last name, do we? No. Uh, Elliot's family's house is shot with all these, I mean, it's shot for maximum dramatic effect of like, why would they have all these floodlights? Yeah. You yeah. know, illuminating like key portions of their yard and the way that the shed is shot and everything. And do they have a cornfield in their backyard? What yeah. is that? Yeah. I never really got the, uh, setup and layout of that how that house works and the the in southern california <laughs> in southern california that would make like sense a, of knowing that's a set there's a that, hill yeah and there's because it feels like a cornfield corn right yeah. <laughs> and i feel like that must have been left over from that night sky sort of farm family being terrorized like mm-hmm. sure there's a cornfield where he meets the alien for mm-hmm. some for i some mean it's reason. worth it because it's so great yeah <laughs> I, love, I love those shots in there i love those like jump cuts of to like, seeing like, Elliot screaming surprise. from multiple yeah. perspectives. Yeah. Uh, Is that a Hitchcock thing? It, it definitely feels like it's not something that I feel like Spielberg has done in other movies since. Yeah. He, I know that for this movie, he didn't work with storyboards, which is super unusual for him. Um, he was also working. I mean, he was working with a different editor than, I guess in early he was still moving around from editor to editor until he found like Michael Kahn, I guess. But, yeah. um, so I don't know. Did I ever tell you that I saw Steven Spielberg direct in real life? Carla, tell us this story. But I forget the name of the movie. I was on minority set report. Catch minority me if report. You can. Yeah. Minority report. Oh, my boyfriend at the time. I had boyfriends was before. Minority was Minority Report. Was Minority Report. Was a cinematographer who had an internship with Janusz Kaminski. And so I came to visit him in LA and he took me to the set and I got to meet everybody. And Who's everybody? 
uh, Janusz Kaminski and Tom Cruise and Steven Spielberg. And it was bananas. Oh, just those people. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I guess everybody has LA stories, but this is a big one because I was like 19 or 20 mm-hmm. and I had never been to LA. And you're like, this is going to be my life <laughs> from much. now on. I was like, yeah. this is, yeah, this is what it is. Uh, but the thing that I remember about watching Spielberg, because I had just been going to drama school, theater school. And the big thing in theater school is like directors never give your actors a line reading. Mm-hmm. And Spielberg was giving everybody line readings. <laughs> Including Tom Cruise? Uh, I don't remember that. I remember specifically with Samantha Morton. Was that her name? Samantha Morton, yeah. And then there was some other actor in there that he was like, now, now try to say it like this. And he would say it and he would do the inflection where he wanted it. Yeah. Okay, now try it like this. And he also did the thing with his, which I thought was never a real thing that people did where you, you just see it like on sketches, <laughs> in sketches or whatever, mm-hmm. where they make the frame with their fingers right. and uh-huh. look through it. He did that. Crazy. Yeah. That's why he's so good. Isn't that isn't that, that hilarious? Sometimes you look through <clears throat> your you make a little circle and you look through it like that too because because the well, talking to the talking to the microphone. Oh, the lens is. <laughs> you just did a Jamie Moyer. You're, do- <laughs> or you're, you're doing a Jamie Moyer. Your hands. The lens is. Uh, and then the lens is over there, and then he was there. <laughs> it has a narrow f- uh, field than what your eye sees, so yeah. you wanted to sort of see what. I guess I just was. Uh, shocked, not shocked, surprised yeah. because I just thought that that was like a funny thing that people did that wow in movies that people really didn't do in real life, yeah. you know. <laughs> and yeah, looking he, through his fingers, yeah, I love it was it. so weird. That line reading thing, like sometimes as an actor, I love getting a line reading. Like, just tell me how you you want it said. I think that's one of those like methody actors of like, don't don't tell me how to say it. Yeah, thing, yeah. you know. Uh, I think, you know, good directors know the right time to give a line reading. I have to tell you this one little part too. This was horrible. I thought I was going to get kicked off the set because we were walking around the top of the structure. Like we walked through the set. <laughs> uh, Keith was his name and he was like taking me through the set and nobody was up on the second level. It was where the computer was, where Tom Cruise, like, you know, he moves the computer screens. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was in that little area. And it was like a practical set. So underneath was also part of it. The pool. Yes, exactly. The pool and whatever. Uh, and I had this Clinique lipstick in my pocket and it's like a silver, (laughs) like really heavy silver thing. And Spielberg and Janusz Kaminski were right below us. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I don't know if I was nervous or whatever, but I was like playing with it in my pocket and Keith was showing me something and I took it out and I accidentally dropped it and it fell right past (laughs) Steven Spielberg and like went into a, something on like a crack in the floor under underneath and he looked up at us and Keith was like we gotta get out of here (laughs) and like we ran off the set and like went outside for a minute that's how he got the idea to drop the eyeballs and have them roll I guess later in the movie does that happen yeah there you go I really for like five minutes of my life thought that we were going to get kicked off this Steven Spielberg set. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? Carla, how have you been holding on to these big I know, showbiz I can't believe stories? I've never told you that. Have I never told you I've that never story? heard that she's, story. No, she's waiting for all of them for this podcast. She's been saying. I think I told that story a million times, <laughs> like the week after it happened, and yeah. then I felt like I never needed to say it again. I've never heard it. You never told me. How that. weird! I promise it happened. We can ask my friends from then. Well, I do have still three more Spielberg movies coming up, so you know, hold on to some of those great anecdotes. <laughs> I know you've got more. That can't be it, you know. <laughs> I do. I'll never forget though him looking up 
at us through the, the through his fingers. Yeah. How do I how do I frame the shot but of the lady is dropping that? Like, the lipstick? Would you ever? I mean, it was surreal to see like Steven Spielberg be like, "What the fuck?" and look up, <laughs> looking up in awe, and like making eye contact with me and me being like, "Oh," and keeping like, "We gotta get out of here." <laughs> and we ran through the set. We high fived Tom Cruise on the way out. I did a cartwheel. And he gave you a pamphlet for Scientology. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Um, I like, uh, in a way of this movie is the reverse of close encounters because it's like, it delivers the money shot right away of just like opening shot. Hey, a spaceship lands, some aliens get out, you know? So, uh, you know, close encounters, the whole thing is, is withholding all of that till the very end. And you get like, uh, a shot from inside the spaceship as well, which you never get in close encounters until the special edition. I don't think I met Spielberg, actually. <laughs> no, I'm thinking about it. What? I think I did meet Tom Cruise, and I definitely met Janusz Kaminski. Okay. I just wanted to clear clear the story so that it was the truth. Well, yeah, because Spielberg will be listening to this. And well, he was a busy man. Tweet in. Uh, I did not meet you on that day. <laughs> well. Uh, I still, to this day, like, uh, I don't eat it that much anymore, but pepperoni pizza my favorite food in the world <laughs> and when he steps on that pizza i'm like oh what a waste of a good pizza <laughs> i will say there are two flaws in this movie oh and one of them has to do with the pizza okay when um elliot's trying to get into the D game and they say okay you can go get in if you wait outside for the pizza man yeah. Coming. And then as he's leaving to go outside to wait for the pizza, they that's start already placing coming, their order. They start placing the order as though they hadn't mm-hmm. already done that. It's really weird. Yes. It's, it's very that strange. That struck me this time too. It's a flaw. And I. That was the other thing. D&D. I was like, Stranger Things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah they're playing I'd D&D. I'd forgotten they'd played D&D in this movie. <laughs> and then uh, there's that old no anchovies thing again. When did pizzas ever come with anchovies on them? He's like, anything except those little fishies. Yeah. Nobody ever put anchovies on pizzas, but in every movie, people say no anchovies on the pizza. Yeah. It's like saying no blueberries. It must have been a thing, though, because it must have been. just like looking through your hands as a director, we know that it actually happens. <laughs> so exactly. everyone must have been. Everything ordering. comes from somewhere. Uh, the dog is similar to the poltergeist dog. I think they're both golden retrievers, right? I so. think it went from set to set with Spielberg. <laughs> that, I was going to say that's, Same just, dog? that's Same another dog? Uh, check plus in the Spielberg Hardy. directed Jeff theory. <laughs> Spielberg directed Jeff theory. There you go. So yeah, the kid's eye view of the adults, you know, it's kind of like peanuts, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> you know, the, uh, I mean, any other director would show that science teacher, you know, mm-hmm. maybe cast a funny actor of just like, here's the frogs that you're going to, you know, um, what do you call it? Dissect. Dissect, dissect mm-hmm. is the word that I'm looking for. Oh, but- was there a time when you actually killed the frogs? Because when I had to dissect, they already came dead. Yeah, that Probably, is. Probably. I would I can, I can definitely see schools in America making the kids kill the frogs first and then going you know what maybe we can not why would you have first of all these are middle school kids right why do they they have to do dissection we had dissection in high school that's when i did very young i dissected a fetal pig Mm -hmm. i mean why even have high school kids do it i mean it it just feels like such a traumatic thing i I can't believe they do it anymore just with like animal rights being even more of a thing now what i dissected i dissected something we it had wasn't frogs. a frog. They came, it and wasn't they came 
dead already. They came frozen. Pig. What else could it have been, you guys? This is going to bug me. Mm, a rat? A frog? A pig? Not a rat. Um, Not was a mouse. A, oh. A bird alien, of some... Alien I was going to say, maybe... Thing? No, it wasn't a bird. Oh, something like a squid or like something... I keep thinking like a... Not a fish, but something, something aquatic. Something mo- <laughs> Yes. I think that's what it was. Oh, I'm going to look it up, you okay. guys. How did I do that? <laughs> <laughs> how do I... Uh, crazy listeners, if you know how Carla can look up what she dissected in high school... <laughs> I can't maybe, just Google Maybe that, your huh? yearbook will have... <laughs> I don't think so. Can we Google your yearbook? Actually, it might. I don't know. <laughs> the uh, I will... There is a... I don't think it's in the 2002 version as a deleted scene, but it is a deleted scene where uh, the mother goes in to... Yes, up Elliot with Harrison Trunk, Ford. And Harrison Ford is the principal who is also shot in shadow, but his voice is so distinct that yeah. you know he's... Your kid was drunk in school. Yeah. Is <laughs> sure that was in John Wayne? <laughs> Your kid was drunk in school. <laughs> John Wayne is also an E.T. He is, and yeah. The Quiet Man. Mm-hmm. What? E.T. Oh, is watching, watching The it. Quiet Man right. with John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara, and then they duplicate that shot. I mean, Spielberg that's must the other, have loved that's the other doing flaw that. In this is when the Elliot kiss. when Elliot pulls the girl in, John Wayne doesn't turn his back to the camera, but Elliot pull, turns his back to the camera. Oh, oh. Jeff, when, uh, I did not remember that part of the movie though, where with the John Wayne thing mm-hmm. and the the schoolgirl, the schoolgirl, the schoolgirl. It is such a cute oh, shot, I do. though. I love that part i never remembered it and then but i the part i'm talking about is the shot of like her legs uh as he's going away and they like curl up or whatever mm-hmm. like she really likes him <laughs> yeah it, and then the frogs go through and i love the that music as all the kids put their hands out the window and, yes. and release the frogs out yeah. into the world and that girl with the pigtails standing skit like just it's great screaming, on the yeah. elliot chair. stands on the fat kid to mm-hmm. uh, be able to reach the uh, the girl to kiss her yeah yeah um i think i'm jumping around here a bit just to get in some of these carlos quotes but when uh after et or after elliot is taken in et he fakes sickness uh, in order to stay home mm-hmm. uh, and hang out with et all day um but Carla said, I tried so hard when I was a kid to get my thermometer up like that against a light bulb, but it never worked for me. It never did. Did you guys try that? Uh, I, I don't think it works. I think <laughs> I did. I don't know. <laughs> I, I know I've read Spielberg used to put a heating pad on his head to make himself feel oh, warm. That's so funny. <laughs> and Carla said, I don't remember E.T. looking so sticky. He was like sweaty, <laughs> sticky in it. Did you notice that? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah, it looks a little shiny. <laughs> uh, Reese's pieces, by the way, cleaned up yep. on this movie. Yeah. Uh, M&M's, you fucked up. Yeah. Too bad. <laughs> Too bad. Uh, product placement wasn't really a big thing at this point, though this is not the first instance of product placement. They were doing it a little bit in the late 70s. Mm-hmm. Dunkin' Donuts and Star Wars is very famous, so... Is that true? No. I <laughs> <laughs> can't tell with Jeff. Jeff, you yeah, you're so deadpan and you know so much about movies that I'm like, if there was a I mean, I'm pretty sure Dog and Donuts was not in Star Wars, but um But yeah, I mean Reese's Pieces was a pretty new candy and was not that well known put at the time the map, yeah. and it put them on the map. Uh Penis breath was a very common insult at the time. I love that the mom laughs when he says it. She's like, 
Elliot. And then she starts laughing. Yeah. <laughs> so great. Dee Wallace only 34 at the time that she did, did this movie. She looks about 34. 34. I um, think I still look younger than 434. <laughs> sure. Sure. You look a lot like Dee Wallace. Okay. Uh, I just love, uh, I love how Michael and Gertie, his siblings, react to E.T. You know, they each each kind of have their own little relationship with him. And so when E.T. is saying goodbye to each of them at the end, it's so nice because each of the relationships is so specific, I think. That's one of those things you teach in improv, right? Of like, if you're in group scenes, you need to have different types of relationships with each person on stage. You need to feel a different way about each person and let that be. It's... I don't teach that. Well, you, yeah. <laughs> um, do you remember in the final scene when Michael says goodbye to E.T., E.T. flinching at first? Uh, yeah. Because he, he kind of caresses he his head? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And E.T. like flinches at first and then he lets him do it? Is that right? Or yeah. Or am I making that up? I think so. I think he moves back a little bit and then... It was not in the version that I saw. Because when I wa- rewatched it with Craig this morning, I was like, I swear that I that E.T. flinches slightly when <clears throat> let's go watch it, you guys, right now. <laughs> okay. Pausing the podcast crazy. to rewatch the flinch scene. Um I've got the original version. <laughs> uh classic scene of uh mom hearing a noise upstairs going up and et uh posing still among all the stuffed animals it's so, so classic. it's so classic so funny um and then the sigh as as it, the camera cuts away mm-hmm. they left in et's like yeah <sighs> jeff is uh is et a christ figure uh, <laughs> everything's a christ figure right? sure I think that was not in Spielberg's mind, but obviously of like he can heal. I think it's more it's a it's a father figure in in Spielberg's mind. Yeah. I, I think when you're talking about how it relates to him, it's a it's a super personal movie to him. It's really about his life, not like specific about his life at the time of when his parents were divorced. Emotionally specific, up, but yeah, it's uh, emotionally so and. Look, everything you read about him, he, he and he admits himself that he was constantly searching for father figures, um, and taking on Sid Scheinberg at Universal and and these different um, people. And so, yeah, E.T. is a father figure for Elliot, who's lost at this time after his father has abandoned him, and E.T.'s been abandoned on Earth. And uh, and when E.T. leaves, there's that two shot of. D. Wallace, the, his mom, and Keys that yeah. makes you think that, oh, maybe they'll be that, maybe that's a new father figure for mm-hmm. Elliot going forward. Um, that, uh, yeah, I think it's more that than a Christ figure, I, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. But, but people have made that analysis. Sure. He, so he rises from the dead. Or... <laughs> <laughs> wow, Carla. <laughs> Carla, we have Enough a subs- about Jesus already. Carla, okay? we have a substantial been, Christian it's been a couple listenership. Years. Let's move away <laughs> Let's from move it. Move on. We've Other got a people big... can come back to life and yeah. descend, ascend up to the heavens. Anyway, the scene where ET's finger shines and heals Elliot's uh, owie on his finger, like it's Ouch. it's so. I mean, it's amazing. It's just a great shot, and While so Peter Pan is being read. 
while Peter Pan is yeah. being read. Go on to make uh, Hook. Hook. Crazy. Crazy. Uh, how many of the elements of uh, E.T.'s transponder can you remember? That he makes it just out of household objects. Yeah, an umbrella. Uh, record player. Razor blade, record player, speak and spell, tin foil. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of like... Elect- there's a fork, there's a coffee can, there's a lantern battery. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of electronics to like right. really boost us, <laughs> to get a signal out there, but... But at the time, 1982, yeah. like a speak and spell is about the most cutting edge technology you can imagine. That you know, as in a ki- somebody's house. As a kid, yeah. you know, like uh, it was it was so cool to have that, you know, that that voice, you know, to have uh, an electronic device that could speak with a humanish voice to you. So of like, I bought that as a kid. You know? Yeah, I, it's one of those things. The same way the shark blows up at the end of Jaws, it's like I don't. I don't need it to actually make sense. I need to just see a bunch of stuff thrown together and go, okay, I buy that that's getting out there. Yeah. Uh, Carla, do you know uh, what the hit song was that came out uh, the following year inspired by E.T.? I don't. Um, Turn on your hot light. Really? Let it shine for all to see. I'm going to take a ride across the moon, you and me. Popular you know, John Wayne song? <laughs> <laughs> John Wayne had a hit single with Heartlight. You don't know Heartlight by Neil Diamond? I do. I do yeah. know that song. I didn't know it was inspired by E.T. It's inspired by E.T. Turn on your Heartlight. I'm going to take a ride across the moon. Uh, and I guess not licensed by the movie or anything. I think it was literally Neil Diamond saw the movie or some songwriter wrote it for Neil Diamond or whatever. Um a lot of people I knew, I didn't have it, had the the Michael Jackson record where he reads the story I've of E.T. And that. then he sings a song, some Someone in the Dark or something? Uh, something like that. I'm not a huge fan of the record, but I have the record. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's a good example of just Spielberg's visual storytelling. I just thought this was such a cool shot when... Uh, Elliot is missing. His mom goes looking for him. So they've left the house alone. And then the scientists go in to kind of, uh, use their devices, look for, you know, signs of ET. There's this whole thing of like this extension cord mm-hmm. unraveling and unraveling and unraveling oh, yeah. and finally mm-hmm. going straight and taut and knocking the chair back into place. That's great. Yeah. And of like, that's just his brilliance as a storyteller. I mean, mm-hmm. again, like you could hear dialogue of just like, I think they have the alien over here if if you wanted to, you know, but that yeah. it's like, why not just tell it in images? And it's kind of like from this disorderly, chaotic house, it's like, here's science coming in to like try to make everything ship shape, you know? Yeah. yeah. And you could do it so many different ways of like a bunch of different shots of that, but all he needs is that, all, all he needs is that cord going into that room and just sort of <laughs> Uh, forcefully knocking that chair. And it makes you jump. Mm-hmm. Any audience? Okay, so the end of the movie, mm-hmm. um, Carla is watching the last 15 minutes with me, mm-hmm. uh, and I got a bunch more Carla's quotes from, oh, from the very end. We're watching the movie with our dog, Benny, who Carla sometimes refers to as Mr. Bingers. Um, so Carla said, oh, look how cute E.T. is. He's like a Mr. Bingers. <laughs> So he's Frankie and Ben. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and during the whole final chase sequence, Carla just starts saying, Home, Elliot, home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And then Carla does that fake crying thing that she likes to do when she's actually really crying, but, <laughs> but is trying to make a joke about it. So she said, bye, E.T. <laughs> I was really crying, though. We went to our favorite breakfast burrito place in the neighborhood. And when you get a breakfast burrito from this place, they give you one little thing of hot sauce and they give you about a hundred tiny thin napkins. Oh yeah. <laughs> and while watching the climax of the movie, Carla and I individually went through all hundred of these <laughs> tiny napkins, <laughs> blowing our nose and wiping our eyes. And you had just seen the ending two days before and you were crying all over again. Uh, when E.T. is leaving and, uh, the, the dog runs up the plank of the ship for a little bit and then starts to run back, I said, that dog wants to go to outer space. And Carla said, let him go. <laughs> 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 and then as the credits roll, Carla said, good movie, Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> and then one more time to Benny, you said, are you an alien, Mr. Bingers, taking data back to your home planet? <laughs> Most of the data relates to things, uh, uh, how things smell and taste, I think. But he's constantly taking in new data. He is. He pays attention during this po- whole podcast I know, podcast he's just been recording. sitting staring at Jeff. <laughs> uh, pretty good ending, right? Pretty pretty great ending. I'm so glad it ended there too. He really could have yeah, like love, shown us a postscript of it. I love that we don't it. go back yeah. to the house and see them having to take down all the scientist stuff. Yeah. And <laughs> the music is swelling. You know, it's wonderful. I'll be right here. Henry Thomas is just perfect in that last scene. You know. The kids, you know, Michael's friends, the guys on their bikes are just like, whoa, what the fuck? Is that was, this? that's <laughs> so great to see those kids come around at the end who've been such little punks the whole time. Yeah. Wind machine blowing them all. Yeah. The mom who just met this alien, you know, <laughs> earlier in the day, you know, <laughs> but you feel like as she sees all of her kids like say goodbye to him, like that she's understanding like their whole story and everything. Mm-hmm. The ship takes off. That other part that makes me sob is when she goes upstairs and sees ET for the first time and E.T.'s dying on the floor mm-hmm. and he looks up and he says, Mom. And she, and turn, she turns. Her coffee just yeah. slowly. like, And she grabs the kids and turns away from him. Yeah. Oh, that's so... And he reaches out. Yeah. And starts screaming. Uh, Jeff, you want to give this a letter grade? Going to give it an A+. <laughs> Carla, letter grade? A++. What does that stand for? It stands for, this is by far the best movie on your list. <laughs> Do you think number so? Number one, number of, one. I number do. One. Really? I can't believe I it's it, not in your top ten. I think it needs to go up. Knowing, um, knowing some of the things that are in your top ten, I can't believe it. <laughs> and I am actually really embarrassed that I had forgotten what a great movie this is. It Really, in my mind, it was like kitty, like uh, kid movie nostalgia stuff. And yeah. not didn't wasn't a real movie. <laughs> <laughs> and watching it, I was like, oh my God, this is... An incredible movie. I'm so glad that I had to rewatch it. Now, here's some. I've never felt that about any film that you've made me watch. (laughs) Here's some of the other things that I think you've given A's or A plus. Because as we go through the list, I try to kind of go through and estimate what Carla, what Carla's list is of Craigslist movies. Yeah. So these are what I think might super meta. I know it's too much. I don't know how to. This is what I think are the five movies you've liked best so far. Sound of Music. Sound of Music. Dog Day Afternoon. Dog Day Afternoon. 
Big Night, Silence of the Lambs, Eternal Sunshine. Yeah. So you'd say E.T. is better in all of those, including Dog Day? Oh, I think it is. Oh, all right. Or at least it's, a, it's, I like it as much as Dog Day. Uh, I will agree with this, guys. E.T. is the best movie that we have watched thus far, uh, which it should be because it's, the, <laughs> uh, you're going from, but I think, yeah. uh, I think 33 does seem pretty low for it. So I, I, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah I think it, up to number one. <laughs> I think it's gonna, I don't know, top 15, maybe? I don't know why I had it so low, because I know when I had it when I was younger, top 10, definitely. It's gotta, it's gotta. Maybe I was those Woody Allen movies out of the top 20, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> Maybe I was feeling more cynical or something last time I saw it. I don't know. But this really, really got me this time. And I think it's top 15. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You want to improvise a little scene? Yeah. Oh, no. I'm imagining... <laughs> I'm imagining this. It's, uh, it's maybe 20, 25 years later after the events in this movie. And, uh, we just have a little scene with, uh, with Michael, uh, Elliot and Gertie. Um, just maybe just reconnecting as sibling adults. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. <sighs> Ralphie left me again. <laughs> Gert, you gotta, yeah, you gotta say goodbye to that guy. I don't I mean, know. I try. Bad, I'm just, ugh. he's bad news. What do you think, Elliot? I'm sorry. I can't stop thinking about the alien that I met when I was <laughs> oh, a boy. Jesus. Every time I just, Elliot, Ralphie that was, left me again and that, you're talking about that alien no, again. No, I do you know how special I am though. He came to me. Yeah. Like he came to me of everyone. <sighs> well, yeah, we remember that. I mean, it was a pretty big event and it went for like a week. Yeah. An alien lived in our house and. But it's like having a good meal. You remember it really strongly for a few weeks and then 35 years later, you don't remember it at all. Um, I, I didn't get that promotion I was up for, guys. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. No, I'm I mean sorry. that. My best friend flew to another planet, Michael. My best friend flew to another planet. Uh, yeah, I mean, that you were 12, Elliot. You haven't had better friends since then? I mean. Who can compare? This isn't all about you, Elliot. Our older brother just said that he lost his job again. I didn't, well, I didn't lose my job. I just didn't get a promotion. If you, if you lost but... your job, where am I going to live? <laughs> I've been living in your basement. I'm sorry. I'm just distracted by the fact that Ralphie left me again. And guess where he went, you guys? Guess. Mexico. Oh, irony of ironies. Well, at least you know where Mexico is now. <laughs> Idiot. Uh, what? What? And so, like I was he, saying, yeah. I'm just so in love with Ralphie, and I just can't. But believe he is he bad keeps... news, Gert. I mean, there, there's much better guys. Did you guys out hear ET? What? Be Did you guys? Good. No. No, Elliot. ET is not. Are you saying you still have some psychic link with this That's creature absurd. that lives several like galaxies away? I feel like he's coming back this time. This time it's for real. No. This time it's for real. I know oh. I said this in 2000. Phone home. I uh, I can't pay my mortgage, guys. Oh, wait, so that's just, you my, know. that's just my cell phone ringtone. And <laughs> <laughs> scene. Elliot. I think that's pretty much how. It, I'm like, how do you forget that? <laughs> would you okay. not be obsessed with it would that, for the not, rest of your life? For the rest of your life, that was good. How would you not want to tell everyone that you knew? Probably why course, they Gertie's... haven't made a sequel. It would just be that scene, right? Of course, Gertie's boyfriend left the same way her dad left. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're always replaying, you know, 
the mistakes of your parents, right? Yeah, right. That's the real lesson of ET. <laughs> yeah. Jeff, uh, I mean, we've got to do more podcasts where we have people on for their favorite movie because yeah. like the combination of Eben for 2001 and Jeff for ET is just like so it great. Makes, it really Feel free works. to cut out all the boring stuff I said. No, okay. it's all really good. Uh, I hope you, hope you guys enjoyed this 12 minute episode <laughs> of Craigslist. Uh, Carla, I don't know who has this next one as their favorite movie, so I don't, I don't think we're going to go for a guest on this next one. Oh boy. This is a 1988 film. Big and business. What's that? Big business. Oh, don't you wish I had big business Louis on Tomlin, there? Bette Midler, yeah, I don't Classic know. I'm there. pretty sure I don't have any movie with two sets of twins oh, on it. it. Uh, but this was a Oscar nominated movie in 1988 for best picture. It's based on a play, a British play that was an adaptation of a 18th century, I believe, French novel, oh, which, which has been retold Dangerous many liaison. times. La liaison dangereuse. <laughs> ah, cruel intention. <laughs> <laughs> this is dangerous liaison. Oh, that'd be so fun if I could watch cruel intentions and you had to watch dangerously. No, we're not going to do it like that. I You're going to watch. You should do a double feature and do. That'd be uh, funny. Uh, have you seen Dangerous Liaisons? I have. I like Dangerous Liaisons a this, lot. This is John Malkovich. This is Glenn Close. Close. A young Uma Thurman. Uma. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, and also Peter Capaldi. Peter Capaldi. Is in it. So, uh, you know what else is a good movie from around this time that's exactly the same story is Valmont. It is the exact same story. With they made Colin that, Firth. They made that in the next year. May- and Annette Benning. Some and Meg Tilly, some no, people, Tilly? and Tilly. and you know who else is in Valmont playing Don Sinai, which is the role that Keanu Reeves plays in Dangerous Liaisons. Christian Bale, Henry Thomas, Henry Thomas from oh. e- from ET is in Valmont. Whoa, my mind just <laughs> fell apart. I didn't know that. Honestly, I thought after ET he hadn't he didn't do anything till Legends of the Fall. That's when I noticed oh, him coming right. back on the scene. Legends of the Fall. Yeah, no, he's uh he's in Valmont, but we're gonna watch Dangerous Liaisons. <laughs> you should you watch could... Dangerous Liaisons, Valmont and Cruel Intentions. That'd be so fun. Okay, so uh there's no way Carla's gonna watch three <laughs> movies in one week for this I, podcast. I really do like Dangerous Liaisons. I haven't seen it in years, but the last time I saw it was probably high school and I liked it a lot. Okay. Well, I hope we like it this time. So, uh, Craig's listeners, please tune in for episode 69, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Sex. Sex Sexy time. The list is an absolute good. The list is life.